Hello, everybody. Welcome to Nothing to Hide, a data privacy podcast. It's becoming increasingly difficult to protect our privacy on the internet, and it can be even harder to understand companies' data collections practices as a consumer. The Nothing to Hide podcast is organized by researchers at the Property Data Center. In this podcast, we discuss privacy and consumer protection issues. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like the podcast, please make sure to subscribe at Nothing to Hide. Online. Welcome to a new episode of the Nothing to Hide. I am Darvish. And I'm Joanna. Every day, a tremendous amount of personal data is being collected. Two well-known data protection regulations, GDPR and CCPA, enable consumers to have control over the personal data through things such as accessing, modifying, and deleting your data, as well as the right to be forgotten. These are important rights for digital citizens, and today's guest will help us dig deeper into how to ensure that everyone can exercise these rights, even if they don't have a user account with a online service. This week, we have Yoshimichi Nakatsuka from University of California, Irvine, presenting his work on Viceroy, privacy-preserving framework for GDPR, CCPA, compliance to verifying accountless consumer requests. Thanks so much for being in here with us, Yoshi, and we'll be really happy if you can just quickly introduce yourself for our audience. Yes, happy to be here and thank you for having me. My name is uh, Yoshimichi Nakatsuka and I am a sixth year PhD student here at uh, the University of California, Irvine. I mainly work on the intersection of hardware assisted security and web security and privacy. So what was that your focus on and what was the main research that you were trying to solve? Yes, uh, in GDPR and CCPA, uh, users like us have the right to access, modify, and delete our data that has been collected by these uh, businesses or servers. And in GDPR and CCPA, this is uh, very clearly stated and it's very straightforward for uh, consumers that have accounts. So for example, if you have an account on Gmail, uh, you log into your Google account and then you're able to use that right, exercise that right. But it is a very difficult question for users that do not have an account. So for example, if you are uh, using uh, services without logging onto your account, even though you do have, or for example, if you're using uh, the browser and incognito mode and you're browsing around and using these services. So the thing is that these uh, web services still use, still collect the consumer's data. And it has been uh, clearly stated in uh, CCPA that you know, it is necessary for these regulations to allow these consumers without accounts to exercise their uh, rights. So this work aims to provide a provably secure way to for these consumers to exercise their rights. That's awesome. There's definitely a need to have more consumer rights, especially online and and in the, the realm of privacy. So I, personally, I'm just kind of curious. So for these 
rights and these controls? How do they change the way that users can interact or consumers can control their personal data? And specifically, I'm curious about the kind of limitations of these rights because you mentioned the GDPR and the CCPA, but GDPR is EU and CCPA is in California. So what does that mean for people who are both covered by these regulations, but also not? Sure. So I'd like to just mention that I am not an expert in this area, but I'll try to give give a brief overview as uh, possible. So in in retrospect, with, uh, before this these uh, regulations, consumers like us did not have any means of controlling our own data that was has been collected by these tech giants or even services that run in these particular areas, and. Ever since the introduction of GDPR, it has sparked a inspiration around the globe, and CCPA was very quick to follow. But other countries have also started to pick up the uh, the, the the idea as well and started to introduce their own regulations. And of course, the limitation of this is that if you are not part of these countries or regions that have this. Uh, regulations, you will not be protected. And therefore, uh, rule makers and lawyers are rushing to try to establish these kind of uh, regulations and legislations across the globe. That, that's actually good. So we have all these regulations. And that you said, we have also control of our data. So for instance, if I have an account on some server, what kind of action I should take to ask a kind of deletion or modification on my data? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. In the most straightforward way is to log into your account in the standard way. So you give your username and your password, and you have to, if you have two-factor authenticated enabled, then uh, you present the other authentication factor, and then you would then log into your account. That would then uh, prove to the services or the businesses that you are the rightful owner of that particular data because all the data that has been collected is associated to that particular account. So you log into your account and then you go to some portal that they have established and then say, I want to access this data or I want to modify it because it's wrong or I want to delete it for good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially with all these businesses asking you to create an account. But, you know, it to me, it's interesting that they can also collect personal information about us as consumers, even if we just visit their website without creating an account or without logging in via cookies or other types of profile information that they can use on us. So in that kind of scenario, how do these consumers entering into data relationships without accounts, how can they use their control rights as granted by these regulations? Yes. So first of all, the data collection have the question about data collection without of users that do not have accounts. So that's very interesting, is because a lot of these services rely on the factor that there are cookies uh, on the users' browsers. So cookies are introduced to establish state on the uh, web protocol HTTP, but then they will then start to become used to identify a user. And what the servers do usually is that on their back end, they associate a lot of these data that has been collected by this particular for this particular consumer with this cookie. So this is how services 
collect data without even for users that do not have accounts. And this is the same for account users with accounts too, because accounts are essentially authentication. Why can't these consumers or users simply just use the cookies that, right. they, that are being assigned to them, right, as an authentication token, uh, if they want to take these actions? Why do they have to have other types of ways of verifying their identity? Yes, that's the most important part of our uh, research. And it is very natural to you know come up with that question, because as I said, all of these actions are associated to this cookie. So why can't I just present this cookie? Well, you can. Uh, and it actually fulfills a lot of our requirements that we have put onto our system. For example, cookies are only supposed to be owned by the correct user that have done that action, unless it had been stolen, which is highly unlikely. Also, at the same time, it is very difficult to cr um, create false cookies that are, you know, will be associated to uh, these users that will be able to request so false, uh, falsely. And uh, but the issue becomes uh, that these cookies start to become a very essential part of the uh, data access rights and the. The operations that I just like said, the, the access, deletion, and modification. And this means that these cookies now have to be treated very, very securely. And this is an issue because uh, for users that do not have accounts, they generate thousands of a lot of cookies, you know, over the course of the time. And simply storing them onto your local computer might be very dangerous because, you know, you might not know when it would get extracted or you might lose them. That's another issue as well. So that's why in our paper, we actually tried to motivate ourselves so that we can try to not use these cookies for these uh, data uh, operations for accountless consumers. Yeah, is is cookie expiration also one of the problems? Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. So all all these cookies do have expiration dates, and these will cause issues for users who want to access their or like do their data operations in the long run. So these cookies, uh, because like users will not like, for example, like to do data deletion. Uh, the next day or anything like that. Usually they would do like, you know, a year after or sometime, some, something like that. And this is another issue because if they lose this cookie, this pressure cookie, then they cannot do this anymore. So I think the, the problem is really challenging and you talk about all these limitations that if you have the cookies and stuff. So I think it brings us to the, the main question of your work, AKA Viceroy. So how your work, Viceroy, actually solving these challenges that uh, accountless consumers actually face? The core concept of Viceroy is that we take this authentication cookie idea, but so in, in security terms, this is considered to be symmetric. Symmetric as in with the data that is being used to authenticate yourself is also being provided by the server as well. So the server and the consumer holds two secrets and that is considered symmetric. 
And if we use a little bit more specific term, we want to take this token and make it asymmetric. And to make it this more a bit more easier to understand, we want to divide the role of this token of the session association and the right using the token to do these data operations. We don't want to have these two things combined together. We want to separate them. So the core of Asteroid is privacy. And the reason is, is that these consumers, the accountless consumers, are, log are not logged into their account for a reason. You know, they don't want to be associated of their actions to their particular account. For any reason, given reason, you know, we don't want to interfere with that. Yeah, but that's awesome. I mean, clearly, you know, privacy is the, the core of what we all do at Proper Data, but also especially the motivation behind this work. But, um, you know, that being said, of course, having these rights as, as privacy rights entrenched in policy is about trying to make sure that people can have better control of their data and have that in a private manner. So when you, when you say that Viceroy allows for an accountless consumer to request actions on their data in a private manner, so that the actual request itself is private, what does that actually mean? Yep. So the privacy is very difficult to define here, but to make it very simple, when you establish, well, when you visit a website at particular time T, and then you visit the same consumer visits the same website at another particular time, T prime, these two actions at T and T prime should not be linked together. And this is the definition of privacy in our work. So if the user can request a data operation at T, at the data that was collected at T, and then the data that was collected at T prime if the server does not know whether the data requested at T and T prime are from the same user or not, then that's the, that's the, the, the ultimate, you know, uh, protection of privacy. Mm -hmm. Right. So even as they're trying to, you know, verify that it's their data and their information, uh, the, the request itself stays anonymous. Is that correct? That's correct. Gotcha. Okay. So in the beginning, you said you're still going to use a cookie idea. Right and make it asymmetric. That was the I think one problem you you tried to solve. The second one that you just described is about the unlinkability of the request that's coming from these consumers. So let's delve in deeper a little bit. How did you actually solve these problems? Yes. So I think I'll be talking into two in two parts. So the first part is the challenge here is that so when you when I say asymmetric. As a security person, the immediate idea that comes into mind is use asymmetric keys. So you have the public key and the private key, and this is perfect. So what the user has to do is to give a freshly generated public key for each session. So at time T, they generate a fresh key pair, and at T prime, they generate a fresh key pair. And for both these two times, they give this public key over to the server. And later on, when the user needs to authenticate themselves, what would they have to do is to prove the possession of the private key counterpart of the public keys that were generated 
at those two times. So in a sense, privacy is uh, established because these two public keys that were generated at t and t prime are both random and they cannot be linked together. Now, this actually raises two issues. And one of the issue is that these users now have to generate all these keys over and over and over again each time they want to establish a session over to the server. And this leads to the question of how can we prevent this massive amount of key generation that happens each and every time. Also, another question raises is that, well, the private keys also have to be generated as well, alongside with the public key. And this actually goes back to the original question of like, well, if you're doing that, why can't we just simply use cookies? Because cookies and private keys are both secret. They have to be kept in a secure manner. So we wanted to avoid that. And in the paper, we provide a, a discussion of how we prevent this from happening, that we can generate public keys from other public keys. And this is the one of the interesting aspects of uh, Viceroy. Another issue here is that when you send this public key over to the server, the server now has to associate all the data that was collected from this consumer to this particular public key. And this raises an issue because now the server has to change how they store the data. And this is not ideal. So to make it less intrusive for the server side to adopt the Viceroy protocol, we came up with the idea of a cookie wrapper. And essentially what we do is that we bind this public key and the cookie that, was, that are used currently together so that they are not, they are impossible to be broken off. They are linked together. And I won't go into detail here as well, but in the paper, if you look up the term cookie wrapper or wrapper, this is where we talk about how we generate these and then how this actually lowers the burden of the server to uh, adopt Viceroy. Gotcha. Just yeah, as, a, as a kind of quick follow-up, but I think like keys are very interesting, especially cookies and all of this underlying infrastructure, particularly for the web. But I think sometimes for, for the layperson listener, it could be kind of difficult to understand why you need all these extra things that come along with if I'm like trying to access information, I want the newspaper page to load, but I don't necessarily think about all the trackers and all the information that's being collected uh, on the back end. So just as a sort of quick uh, <laughs> like summary or an explanation, so what are the kind of principles that this kind of asymmetric key implementation, just not, not just within Viceroy, but just in general, and we use asymmetric keys it, within privacy, what do we mean by using those just as a high level? And what's kind of the point? Why do we use them? So asymmetric keys were, the, the idea of asymmetric keys were created from the core idea that how do you secure the communication from between A and B? So the most simplest way is to have A and B 
pre-share a key uh, beforehand so that they can encrypt what they want to send over to uh, for between themselves. And this is secure. However, now the question comes into the picture of like, you know, okay, how do you even pre-share these keys? Well, you know, a very dumb thing to do is like, you know, for example, if you, you go into like, you know, to the medieval times, you attach like a message to a pigeon and then you send the pigeon over to B. You know, that's a very, very uh, stupid way, but it's effective, like it works. However, in the era of internet, you cannot send a pigeon on the other side of the world. So <laughs> we want to do this in a more digital and more like, you know, provably secure way. Obviously the pigeon could be, you know, taken down and, you know, you could extract the key. So that's, that's an issue too, right? So the idea and the core concept of asymmetric keys were born on that kind of idea. Like, can we actually separate, you know, a key into a public key and a private key one? The private key always, you know, stays with you, but the public key can be disseminated across the internet. And anyone who knows a public key can send you a secret message. And this was like the innovative and disruptive idea that happened during that time. However, privacy comes into the picture because now, you know, anyone who knows me will know that I will be associated with this public key, right? And this is actually good because, you know, I, I need to have that association. But for people who want to be anonymous, this is an issue, right? Because they cannot just like send like, you know, this public key over to the internet and say, like, hey, I'm, you know, this, you know. So this is the difficult part. Yeah, no, it, it's super interesting. It, it essentially kind of creates like an obfuscation layer for identity where like there's certain things that's okay to be known about you, but everything else you don't want to be known about you when you're trying to do this verification, right, can still remain private. So I think that's a really great explanation. I always love the medieval explanations of uh, what is it, particularly like uh, internet ar architecture, because I think they're very illustrative and helpful for, <laughs> for all of us. So yeah, so I guess, so another thing with identification and other ways that you can be sort of verified or tracked online that don't necessarily have to be with cookies, right? A server will still know the IP address of the consumer, right? Because you can't actually access pretty much anything on the internet without an IP address. You need to know where to send something and where you're sending it from. But even though we have these, you know, digital quote unquote addresses, right? Doesn't that allow malicious websites to still link data requests to a certain consumer and then identify them? Yeah, that is an excellent question. So Viceroy is, even though we say we protect the privacy of the, you know, accountless consumers, some accountless consumers might not care about it. You know, they might be like, you know, oh, just give me the data and just delete it. You know, I don't care. So that's one type of consumer that we want to protect. But also at the same time, there is another, the other side of the spectrum of the consumers, they, which they want to be extremely careful and they want to be really, really, really private. So these consumers, what would they would do is that they would use some services like Tor, which is an anonymous network. So even if the server knows that this consumer has been accessing their services from this particular IP address, that IP address is obfuscated through the Tor network and anonymized. And this is the whole idea. So in essence, Viceroy is capable of supporting a whole wider spectrum of consumers, whether or not they care or don't care about privacy. 
I got the overall idea, but still, I think the core idea is actually use of the cookies, right? Still, you need the cookies, as you said. Uh, however, these regulations like GDPR and in a privacy directive from EU again, and we have a right to reject these cookies. So if it is the case, if as a consumer, I reject the cookies from the beginning, does mean that is a kind of limitation for viceroys, right? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think these cookie banners that you have seen like all across the web, especially if you're living here in California, you would see like, you know, just like consent for cookies, consent for cookies and like, you know, and, you know, I, I know like, and you know, I got fed up with it as well, but it does not mean that they are not using cookies. Like, you know, they still need to use cookies because HTTP is a stateless protocol. So you need to have some sort of like an idea of, you know, past interactions with that user. So for example, you know, let's say you are browsing like, you know, on Google and you say, please don't collect my data, but still they will be associating some particular data to that particular cookie for a lot of purposes. For example, they want to know some metadata or they want to know some sort of like an information that are can be extracted from that. So even if they are not collecting data, there are some stuff that are extracted from that data as well. So Viceroy does not support that yet, but that's actually part of uh, another motivation of like, you know, Viceroy as well. Can we actually, you know, uh, uh, claim rights to these particular data or metadata that was collected from us, not through direct collection of the, like, you know, of our particular actions on that particular service. Just quick uh, follow-up. So when I visit a website, let's say I accept cookies, everything's perfectly going well. But there is also third-party cookies, right? The cookies that I did not, I'm not actually using for that particular thing. So can Viser uh, can be used for third-party cookies as well, or this Viser should be needed only for that particular website that I'm currently visiting? So Viser is agnostic to any type of cookie. So if you are using a third-party cookie that is, uh, for example, like it has a partnership with a first party, then we can also use a Viceroy to claim data ownership of that particular uh, third party as well. Um, then that means that I have to know who are these third parties. Now that actually goes into another rabbit hole, but well, we do briefly talk about in the paper and I'm just going to barely briefly touch about it here as well. But the third party, first party relationship is very complicated and how users or consumers should claim data ownership of third parties is a difficult issue. Yeah, so it's, yeah, the devil is in the details. And definitely, if you want something to be private, it can't be overly simple, because I feel like it'd be pretty easy to overturn. So I, I like, I think it's good, but <laughs> there's a lot of complexity to it. But so, so Viceroy would require some changes on the existing server settings, as well as on the, the consumer or the client end. So how expensive, either from a performance standpoint, or whatever perspective you find is interesting, or cumbersome could these changes be for both the consumers or the clients, as well as the websites? So for instance, is the consumer the one who's supposed to store all the signatures that are generated by the certain server? And, and kind of what are your thoughts on scalability for, for this implementation? 
Yes, that's a great question. And I, yeah, in, in the paper, we go into like the, the small details about like latency evaluations and bandwidth evaluations, story evaluations. I'll give like a very short summary here. First of all, the changes in the servers and consumers. The consumers is very simple. You just install this uh, browser extension and that will keep track of all of your interactions for you. And you can also do the data request from that browser extension as well. So it's very simple. The server side, thanks to the idea of the cookie wrappers, they don't need to change anything on their data storage side. They just need to create this additional endpoint or a service that allows consumers to interact with them through the Viceroy protocol. So all in all, we think that the changes that are required for the, both the consumer side and the server side is kept to minimum. For the, for example, I think latency is like in a very important, and I think we have very minimum latency. But I think the most important key question that I think Joanna you know, raised was about the storage of these you know, cookie wrappers and digital signatures. How much storage does the consumer have to spend? Well, we actually did a uh, estimation. And based on our estimate, we um, have concluded that the consumer only requires 23 megabytes of additional storage for an entire year worth of cookie wrappers and 23 is not at a lot like you know you're probably your average photo that you take on your iphone or on android phone is like about 23 megabytes so it's not a lot also viceroy is really optimized in a way that we can actually outsource this storage as well that's so good so you said asymmetric keys which was kind of signature basically in this case but there is a there's sort of private key and the in the public key right and then you assume that this private key has to store it on the client side, obviously. Do I need extra device to store this? Yes, that's an excellent question. So for users who are you know, casual users and who don't care too much about their security and privacy, well, like regular users like us, they can store their private key onto their local device, which also stores the cookie wrappers and all this other data that are considered to be public. Now, for users that need to be really, really careful and they want to be really careful, then they can also buy this uh, separate device and then store the secret key. So in our paper, we actually show that uh, the Viceroy protocol actually works with this very, very small mini-secure hardware token and that the latency for that is also you know, acceptable as well. We had all this nice discussion. Some researchers are listening to us now. Uh, what are the still open problems that actually are, you want to plan to work on or you suggest to people who are listening as a researchers that you encourage them to work on? Yeah, well, that's the advisory is like the first step towards this whole uh, data ownership for accountless users. So a very natural step towards to the future would be uh, is it possible to replace this for account users, you know, with users with accounts? How about other communication protocols? So in Viceroy, we only support HTTP, but obviously there are way more other protocols that are, you know, being used. So is Viceroy agnostic in a way that we can support these 
protocols or not. Uh, we're not actually entirely sure. And then uh, another very, very, very interesting question is about that third-party cookies. This is definitely an open problem. Also at the same time, very, very important because as these third parties get tangled into our daily lives, they might have collected more information than even the first party. So can we use Viceroy in order for us to be able to tackle this very difficult question of dealing with third party? All right. So, so Yoshi, thank you so much for sharing your work on Nothing to Hide and helping us understand how these consumer data rights requests can be implemented through uh, Viceroy and better protective for people who don't have accounts. So yeah, this, this work really addresses an important and emerging area of concern, especially as, I don't know about you, but I definitely don't like signing up for accounts anymore, especially when they don't like give you all of the terms of privacy policies and stuff up front, and then you have no idea what they're doing with your data. So um, yeah, as, as, as people and digital citizens begin to be more careful about making accounts and entering those data relationships, it's really important that not just the laws are there to support them or to provide them rights, but that exercising those rights is also something that can be private, like you demonstrate in Viceroy, but also scalable and useful for users too, and implementable because it doesn't mean anything if there's a law and then nothing happens afterwards. So thank you so much for being uh, with us on the podcast today. Thank you, Ashi. Thank you. That was pretty cool. In today's episode, we talked about how a countless consumer can control their data with privacy-preserving technologies. Such tools help protect user privacy according to regulations like GDPR without needing to provide additional personal identifying information. To learn more about the latest research on user privacy, visit our website at nothingtohide.online where you can find more podcast episodes, access blogs content, and find additional resources. Thank you so much again for listening and see you in our next episode.